1: Hello and welcome to the Situation Report this week, where we do our best every week to give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. Our topic today is a little bit different than normal, although it still deals with how to navigate an ever-changing culture. Specifically, however, I think often we talk about culture and in our minds it's one thing. But what we have to understand is that underlying culture is a very spiritual component. Now, if I just scared you, just just hang on. We're going to talk about this today. There is more going on in the world than we can always see, and we talk about the spiritual component to everything that's happening, and today we want to speak specifically about spiritual warfare and what that looks like, and our guest today is someone that is well known to the Salem audience. Frank Sontag is now on 99.5 KKLA and also the founder and president of KMG, uh, Kingdom Men's Gathering, and he speaks every day on many of these subjects, many of these topics. I'm sure you're familiar with him, but I'm thankful that he would join us. To discuss what it is to look at the world from the lens of the spiritual, and to see that underlying much of what's happening in our culture is spiritual warfare. Frank, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's good to see you, brother. Yes, sir. Let's start. Uh, let's start at the beginning. Tell us your story, if you would. You spent um, more than 20 years uh, over at another radio station in Los Angeles, KLOS, which is uh, a rock station, and um, then accepted Christ came over to the Christian radio station. Can you tell us that story? Talk about where you came from, what you were into, um, and how God worked in your life to bring you to where you are today. Uh, Sure. Um, I was raised Catholic.
2: I'm Italian, dragged to church on Sunday, born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. And my dad came out here in the 60s. He got a job in the movie industry and announced one day we're going to Hollywood. So i would never been on a plane. We fly out here in the 60s you know how can you not love the the weather in california um i began to acclimate went to an all boys catholic high school notre dame played sports did all of that but somewhere in my junior to senior year i kind of decided i had had enough with catholicism and so i made the decision that i was going to go out in the world and find out what the world had for me so i said i'm done with church i thought i knew who jesus was and jumped out there so a period of about uh, 12 years I did a lot of things we don't need to revisit but (laughs) in 1984 I did what a lot of young guys that are lost and trying to find identity do I went out and I bought a motorcycle sure and one particular Sunday afternoon and you know Jeremy I I know you I've followed Mighty Oaks I love what you and Chad do and everything so I'm just going to be an honest transparent brother here when I tell you the story. Um, So in 1984, I went out and bought a motorcycle. I was a product of a broken home. My dad Mm -hmm. left uh, my mom when I was in high school and I just had a wound and a chip on my shoulder. So I used to get in fights and thought I knew what manhood was in that whole nine yards. And so I get a motorcycle just trying to make my way through. And um, I was dating a woman who I knew um, I knew was married. I was hmm. having an affair. I didn't care. I didn't know the Lord. Uh, her husband just happened to be a Los Angeles police officer. Brilliant move on my part. <laughs> and um, one Sunday afternoon in June, we went for a motorcycle ride. And without all the the details, uh, in Southern Cal where I live now, uh, freeways are pretty congested. We have gridlock the whole nine wow. yards. Well, that particular Sunday. I was riding on a motorcycle with her on the back and I went to make a lane change and I looked in the mirror and in 1984, there were no mandatory motorcycle helmet laws, so Mm. we didn't have helmets on and I looked in my mirror and all I saw, Jeremy, was this car just booking on us really fast and I honestly, I had the thought, this is it. Uh, in the aftermath, California Highway Patrol estimated that on impact we were hit at 110 miles an hour. Wow. Um, wow. We both survived. Obviously, I did. She was hurt very badly. She had to have brain surgery. It was not a good time, but point of the story is it was kind of a wake-up call for me. I remember in the aftermath, and, and I had some really weird things happen. Uh, I had no broken bones but I was pretty uh, road rashed up and had to do all sorts of things like scrub out the asphalt and all all the other stuff so I was hurt more I think uh, emotionally I think I had a little PTSD didn't know it, I saw everything happen but I decided I was going to leave LA and lock myself in a cabin in North Lake Tahoe and try to figure out what the heck happened, I had survivor's guilt, praise God she made it through but I just felt responsible. So, um, winter of 84 cabin, North Lake Tahoe, just trying to piece together. What's my life about a uh, cold winter, spend months there, came back to LA and I just fell into radio. I happened to apply for an internship at a rock station, KLOs, and, um, started working on a talk show uh, of which a host was, um, a, a very popular New Age teacher in Southern Cal. Now, for those of you watching or listening, New Age back then is a little different than now. Uh, it was more structured in that New Age is kind of the the study of all faiths, all paths lead to God. It's all about love. We used to see, and every once in a while, you'll see a bumper sticker, the coexist sticker. right? Like right. somehow it's all good. Uh, right. In the New Age church, Jesus is relativized into being we called him the lord of love but i studied under this guy radio opened up to me and i actually took over his radio program and for 21 years i became a new age teacher in southern cal with a very popular radio program and i would do seminars and workshops all about self-improvement and just how special we are in the whole nine yards right um so I guess to be relevant and and somewhat timely in the story, so fast forward a number of years, I meet a woman at a lecture. She ended up being my wife. Our son was born, and about a year and a half into this, my best friend had given his life to Christ, and this is a guy we did a lot of stuff with that we've repented of. But when he announced to me he had given his life to the Lord, I, my first thought was, oh, my gosh, don't be one of them. I had a very bad taste in my mouth about faith, Christianity, if you will. I thought I knew what Christianity was.
1: Right.
2: So anyway, he and his older brother, uh, who was an evangelical pastor, after watching me for a couple of years, I ascended to the height in New Age in L.A., where the L.A. Times ran a front page article on me, and they called me a New Age guru. Wow, And Jeremy, I was buying at hook, line, and sinker.
1: Right, right. And,
2: and I really thought on some level I was doing something spiritual. It kind of um, uh, satiated my, my deeper yearning for the purpose of life. I survived a crash I know I shouldn't have. What's life about? Who am I? Why am I here? So I was searching, and somehow New Age became a vehicle for more than 20 years. But this one particular afternoon, my best friend and his older brother invited me
1: to play golf. Now, I don't know. Do you play golf? I, uh, I have played golf. I'm not what you'd call a golfer. Golf is an evil game. It is an evil game. That's why I don't play. It, it is an evil game. <laughs> Trying to hit that little white ball in the
2: whole nine yards. So they invite me to play, and I was playing a lot at the time. But little did I know, they had decided to, what I call, do a Christian intervention. Right, right, right. They saw me out of control. They knew I'd just been married. Our son was a year and a half. Anyway, they begin to hit me with the gospel. And I was outraged. Hmm. And I was defensive. I'm like, I'm a spiritual teacher. L.A. Times just did a piece on me. But they both convicted me in that they got me to see, and Pastor Dale was the, the fulcrum, he said, hey, if you don't make it home today like you shouldn't have made it home 25 years ago on your motorcycle, are you right with God? And it hit me in some way by which it penetrated deeper in me and he said, would you sit in your car and meditate on it? I was a meditation teacher, among other things. So as a new age teacher, you read a lot of the world's holy books. I read the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita. I was into Eastern mysticism, never opened a Bible. As a Catholic, we had catechism, didn't really open a Bible. So I had no scriptural reference at all. Right. And it's important to the story. So I'm sitting in my car and he said, meditate on, are you right with God? And I was kind of just quieting down and reflecting on my life. And I got very hot. And my first thought was, did I get too much sun? You know, I'm bald and didn't have a cap that day. It was sunny. I'm like, did I get too much sun? But I sat there a little longer and I felt fine other than being warm, the sensation. And then... um uh, i have to throttle down here because this is something that's hard to articulate i um i heard a voice um, say are you right with me would you would you submit to me are you ready to submit to me is literally what the voice said wow. and i i knew who it was i've said many times in my testimony at churches and other forums when your father speaks to you you know his voice mm. Um, And I had free will. I I felt no coercion, no fear. And I said, yes. And then he said, pick up your cross and follow me. Now we know that's biblical. That's in Luke and Mark, but I had never heard it before. I sat there a while longer. The sensation kind of passed. I called my friends and told them what happened and they're hooping and hollering and praising God. Me, I I didn't know what happened. I just felt the sense to surrender. I asked Pastor Dale, do you know of a church? He said, yeah, I know a good one. I ended up going and studied uh, under Francis Chan. That was my first church wow. yeah. yeah. But here's a, here's a part of the story that is um, a little iffy. In the, in the world of social media, they had put on Facebook, our good friend just gave his life to Christ. My wife, my new age wife, yeah. fell in love with a new age guru, sure. was at home. And saw this post, and I got home, and I just was filled with the love of the Lord. I I was convicted in a lot of ways. Honey, I'm home. Uh, my wife is uh, six foot. She's an Irish, uh, beautiful, fiery woman. And I heard her say, I'm in the front room. And I thought, uh-oh, something, something's not
1: right. <laughs> Social media is as evil as golf.
2: A- Amen. Amen. <laughs> so
1: she had informed me. She said,
2: don't tell me you gave your life to Christ. And I said, you know, how did you know? Yes. And she said, I, I read Facebook. And let's just say for the sake of, of testimony here, Uh, we entered about an 18 month period where things were really not good. Yeah. Uh, She had mentioned the D word. Our son was a baby. Anyway, I will say after 18 months, uh, she began to come to church with me. She saw a change in me that was markedly different. And in, uh, July of 2011, about a year and a half after I gave my life to Christ, she also became a follower
1: of Jesus. Wow! Incredible. Man, what an incredible story. Um, so many things there. Uh, I'll start with this: We are created by God to be spiritual beings to respond spiritually to to God, who is uh, a spirit, and speaks to us and ministers to us that way. What was it about New Age that was appealing to you, knowing that you? Um, you know, in a sense, we're rejecting Christianity with that rejecting God, but you would respond to new age. Now, I think we all want to respond to something. What was it about that that caused you to say, that's it, that's that's what I want?
2: The, the thing about new age, and it's now, it's our culture. Back then, we went to buildings. Now, our culture is kind of the worship of self. Mm. So, in some ways, me seeking, who am I, why am I here? It kind of appealed to that sense of digging down deeper into, Uh, what my life was about. I I did some pretty crazy things. I started floating in sensory deprivation tanks. I did a lot of really weird things, just challenging myself and my mind and and who I thought I was. So New Age is kind of fast and loose. You get the spiritual overtures um, of reading certain holy books. You kind of get appeased intellectually. God is acknowledged, but the, the whole X factor was Jesus, yes, and, and being raised in Catholicism, in truth, and I, I think I put it in the book, I, I remember when I was six or seven years old, sitting in the church and looking up at Jesus on the cross with an excruciating look on his face, and it terrified me as a kid, like so much suffering, yeah, and I kind of equated, well, that's who Jesus is, and if you are a Christian. That's the kind of relationship you have where there's a lot of um, guilt and and fear. And so my relationship was a false one. Yeah. So New Age kind of gave me this sense of um, redemption where I can love God, um, tell people that it's about loving each other and just kind of weave in my philosophies but nothing biblical or scriptural. When I became a follower and began to read God's Word, I was completely convicted in, my goodness, I I was so caught up in my own ways. And maybe we can talk about spiritual warfare a little bit. Sure. But it was, uh, in a sense, the experience and the perception of the best of both worlds. But when I did become a follower of Christ and I realized what New Age was, and I'd love to maybe get a little bit more of that with you, I realized, man, I opened some doors that I shouldn't have opened, and like I said, I had heard about spiritual warfare, but I had no idea it was what it was till I became a follower of Christ.
1: Yeah, talk about that for a minute—the spiritual warfare aspect. I think there is a tremendous misunderstanding of spiritual warfare. It, it, it's interesting, and you—you know, you can talk about this or not, but even as I look at what's happening culturally right now, um, it may not fall into the, you know, the "quote unquote" category of New Age but it is religious worship to pursue self, to pursue what I want, to burn down buildings and riot because you're not getting it. Um, To me, that's as much what you described as New Age worship as anything else, but it really does come back to an underlying spiritual warfare. I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org. To learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our service men and women, to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is mightyoaksprograms.org.
2: Yes, completely. And what I look back on now, and I think God in a sense was preparing me for, the, the worship of self, that somehow all of your standards, your morality is derived by your own thoughts on if you bring God in, yep. you, in a sense, create him in your image versus right. the biblical truth. Right, right. Um, But now I see what is going on in our country, where it's uh, the spirit of deception, um, outright rebellion against authority. Uh, it's demonic. I, mm. I, I've never seen, like I've been doing the, the program for about seven years. Just in the last few years, I've never seen evil manifest like I see it now. Right. I don't want to sound like I'm I'm really heavily scripturally oriented, although the Bible is God's word. I, I try to be um, kind of discretionary on the program. I'm not a pastor, although I did found a, a men's ministry. But point being, um, I'm careful to not share a lot of scripture on the program because my heart is for people that aren't saved. Sure. My heart is for, for guys in the church that are jacked up and doing things they shouldn't be yep. doing. Yep. But they've heard, oh, just – memorize scripture or just do this or just do that. And as you know, with mighty Oaks and all the battles you guys face, man, there's an enemy there. There's definitely spiritual warfare. Yes. So when I became a follower in a new age, similar to the world, uh, in new age, evil is not a force. It's just the absence of good. Mm. Um, as you know, a lot of people don't believe Satan is real. He's surely real in the Bible. When I became a follower, goodness gracious. Thank God, Pastor Dale said, Frank, I just need to tell you, uh, you're a marked man now. I was 54 when I gave my life to the Lord. He said, God is going to put you on a fast track with sanctification. And he said, you've opened some doors that you may not be aware of. I used to do um, past life regression, all that stuff with uh, obsession with the occult and supernatural. And I wouldn't have thought, uh, anything other than it's harmless. But when I became a follower, man, we had some weird things happen. I don't want to get too over spiritualizing here, but we had some dark stuff happen. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then I realized as I asked for guidance with a mentor and read the Bible, it's like, I opened some doors to the demonic and didn't even know it. Right. Um, Christians right now right. maybe watching. They do a little, oh, I don't know, uh, let's go to a, a, a psychic and what's the harm, or do this and that. Man, you don't want to open those doors. Yeah, because the right. Bible clearly says there is a demonic realm. And uh, even Satan masked himself as, um,
1: as an angel of light. a
2: lot of yeah. way angel of light, exactly. Yeah. So I, I see full on manifestation right now. Our country, we've turned our back on God. People don't know who Jesus is. And so the manifestation is spiritual strongholds and people just kind of losing their minds and doing things that are almost undeniably, um, anti-Christ, if you will. And I I use that word kind of, uh, intentionally, but we are, if ever there's a time people really need to know who Jesus is, it's now. And and there's a false narrative even in the church and in certain ministries about who Jesus is. Like yes. he's just this right. loving, compassionate, soft, kind.
1: Right. And Jesus is a warrior. Yep, that's right. Yeah, to separate uh, the Jesus of the New Testament from the God of the Old Testament is, is in my opinion, a false gospel. And, you know, Galatians talks about a false gospel. Uh, Jesus is God, and he is a warrior. And... Um, there is a real war going on, and people who underestimate that Christians seem to be. This is beside the point, I guess. But but Christians seem to be the ones who should know this the most clearly, or see it the most clearly, and miss it the most blatantly. It 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 blows my mind how that's the case, or how it's you know we see that happen. Yeah,
2: I'm not here to scapegoat pastors. They take enough hits. The church in the West takes enough hits. But sure, of the course. Truth is, I I, I I'm concerned that even people that are steeped in the church, there's not a lot of teaching about spiritual warfare, right? Right. It's given some lip service. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ephesians six, put on the full armor a God, but what does that mean? And then yeah. yeah, we are fighting against the principalities, principalities, et cetera, et cetera. But as you know, in mighty Oaks, and when I started KMG, God kind of gave me a word. Uh, I'll tell you a very quick two minute story, you know, Sometimes um, one of the things I studied in New Age was a dream interpretation. And so I always had like a little journal on the side of the bed and you have dreams and there's all sorts of ways to interpret. But one night in particular, I had this profound dream and I, I just felt like some things were exchanged. I wrote them down and I went about my business and I remembered, wait a minute, I had that dream last night. What was I told? And sometimes in, in dream interpretation, you think you have this most profound experience and you write something down and you go back and it's like, uh, I don't know, elephants are purple. Like something really dumb. <laughs> like nothing profound about that. Right. But this particular morning when I went back, it said, this is a battle for the hearts and souls of men. Hmm. And I really felt like it was, it was from God. And I thought, wow. And that was kind of the start of KMG. But battle is the operative word. And I've met, as you alluded to, so many men in the church. Man, there's nothing sadder than a dude that's spiritually dead that is in a battle that doesn't even know who the enemy is nor how to fight against him. And I meet men in the church all over the place that are just, they think they're supposed to be nice and soft and don't really understand the full ramifications of what we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Man, I want to jump into that conversation. Let me ask you if I can first uh, two things. One, I, I listening to your story or your conversion story. I think of the story we find in Acts chapter nine of the Apostle Paul. Um, God speaks to him. God calls him, but God asks him a question. Um, you know, he essentially says, "Isn't it hard for you to continue going the direction you're going? It's it's hard for you to kick against the pricks." And he I think was referencing the conviction that the Apostle Paul was already feeling even though he was pursuing an uber-religious path. And for God to speak to him was to say, you've already been contemplating this, you've been thinking about this, it's time to take that step of faith. Um, And I believe when the Holy Spirit convicts, there is a process that's taken place before a person gives their life to Christ, accepts the gift of salvation. Um, What were you going through in your life at that moment when God spoke to you that caused you to say, you know, I've been this guru in the New York Times or the, the Los Angeles Times, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but there was something happening. There was something pushing you when God spoke and said, now's the time. Uh, absolutely. Now, we've got a great testimony so stories. Let's a lot of people talk about we'll come back broken and, come and,
2: and desperate and, and addiction, um, ev- even attempts at taking one's own life. I didn't have any of that. I was successful, I was popular, I just married my beautiful wife of who we're about to, if she'll have me, we'll celebrate 16 years <laughs> in a couple of months, um, but when I was in it, man, I was a mess. I I, I was broken, I was jacked up, I struggled with pornography, um, with all sorts of um man, I just wasn't right. I wasn't right with God. I My identity was not born in Christ. Yep. So I look back the previous two years by the world standards, man, I, I, it was like I had it all together. Yeah. But I think mostly what I struggle with, and I've never even said this before with you, Jeremy, but it's it's true. One of my major battles and struggles was identity as what it, meant to be, what it means to be a man yep. because of the horrible relationship I had with my father, and I tried to seek identity in the world through relationships and promiscuity and a whole lot of other things, and I didn't know who I was, so I just tried to fit in the world and in a sinful way seek out what the world had, but man, I was lost, I was hungry, I was broken. And I was afraid and I couldn't lead on in a new marriage. uh, This was my third marriage. I'd been married twice before. I married a woman I didn't know who my daughter is now 32. Uh, That was a disaster. I got married again uh, with a woman that I fell deeply in love with. She decided after a year and a half of marriage, she didn't want to be with me anymore. Um, But I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what it meant to be a man. Uh, And so... I was really seeking and searching. uh, And yet, man, I praise God. He he saved me at the right time because I look down it now, man, I would, I would have ruined this marriage. I would have gone down path of self-destruction like never before. Um, So it was just seeking identity. I think was the biggest thing I was struggling with and in denial about it.
1: I think uh, identity is, I was just talking about this today earlier this morning, um, you know, we deal with a lot of folks who would call themselves suicidal, who have attempted suicide, who have at least ideated or talked about suicide, who think about suicide. This is a big thing in our world, in the veteran world. Um, recently, I've written about this. We're producing a book on suicide and really how to process through some of those thoughts and that. And in that, I talked about how I believe that suicide is not the problem, it's the wrong target. We're going after the suicide target, when really what we need to be addressing is identity and purpose. Because once we deal with identity, who you are in Christ, who you're created to be, and the purpose that God, your creator, has given you, the suicide question becomes much easier to answer and much easier to deal with. Uh, I think that the identity piece is the issue that most men and women, most humans are struggling with. And until we get to, you know, get out of Romans 7 and into Romans 8, um, we're never going to be able to move forward in a meaningful way. Let me just give you
2: a three-minute response to that. Earlier today, I was having breakfast with my best friend who's a pastor, a lawyer, and uh, recently, I was last week in Colorado Springs with our dear friend, Victor Marks. Yes. And I'm just going to name names here because yeah. I, I, I think it's important. Yeah. So that's, that uh, week, I, I got to listen to Mark Osgeist. Mark uh, survivor of Benghazi. Hmm. He shared a story with other men. Yep. And this morning, I was telling my best friend that I had heard Mark share his story and all he had been through. And what struck me, I, I'm not a um, a veteran. Um, I, I was uh, set to go to Vietnam, didn't know much about Vietnam. Nixon uh, withdrew. I didn't serve, didn't felt led. At that time, uh, You know, it was kind of a bad taste uh, in America about Becoming a, a a veteran, so yeah. I chose not to. But I have a, a sensitivity and a heart for vets. So when Mark was sharing the story, and I was telling my best friend this morning, we hear that statistic every day: twenty some odd vets take their own lives. And right. I was telling my best friend, listening to Geist, putting it together, man, w- w- what's the what's the integral piece? And you just said it: it's identity. Yes. Mark is very vocal about his faith, and I'm thinking whether you're a veteran or struggling with addiction or just lost those moments of desperation, when I believe it is, it is the enemy whispering lies about your, your all shame, guilt, uh, alienation, isolation, all that stuff. That if you know who you are, or if you're introduced to the risen savior as that's your identity, that's the only answer. That's the way through this by which by the power of Christ, men and women can put their lives back together and realize, Oh my goodness. Now I understand I've I've gone through the fire in a matter of speaking. Now I can be on fire for the Lord and I can use those times of, of darkness to have empathy for others yeah. and help other people through those times. So you're hitting it on the head. It is identity. Identity in Christ to me is the only answer to this. And I just appreciate what you and Chad do. Um, because for anyone that has gone and served in the military, even seen combat, you've seen the worst in humanity. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and understand um, that he's a a God of redemption and restoration, and he has a plan and purpose for your life, that's by which the many reasons I I support you guys, because you do, uh, you do such a truly healing work in, in men to show them, man, the only way out, it's not focusing on suicide. Yeah. And, and even though there's a time and a place for all that secular psychology and this and that, no doubt, but man, it's identity. Who right. are, we, who is Jesus?
1: What are we doing with our lives right now? And how can
2: we find the power in him to get through this?
1: That's great. I, I love, and I use it as often as I can, that contrast between the end of Romans 7, where Paul says, "'O wretched man that I am, (laughs) who will deliver me from this body of death?' And I picture him with his hands up, you know, and I picture the veterans that we serve and the hopeless people around the world across our country right now who look at themselves and say, there's nothing here. It's a body of death. There's nothing to put hope in. And then you flip over to chapter 8, verse 1, "'There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus.'" Uh, it's all about your identity in Christ. And, and man, what a powerful, powerful message. Um, and may I? Yeah, please. Uh, talk about identity. When I
2: became a follower, uh, I, I really heard, pick up your cross and follow me. I hear an interesting follow-up to that. So five weeks after this happened, I began to doubt, did I really hear this voice? <laughs> sure. I'd been going to church. My wife left for a while. She said, had, I had enough of you. And I was really questioning what occurred. And so I got a bio ma- uh, Bible mailed to me. Pastor Dale mailed me the Bible. And one early morning, I was up in the office on my knees crying, thinking, Maybe, am I having a breakdown? What's going on? Um, I opened the Bible, and the book of Luke just popped there. And I saw, this is what a good Christian I was, Jeremy. Five weeks into my walk, I knew red letters meant Jesus. <laughs> And literally, Luke 9.23 jumped off the page. And when I read, if anyone would come after me, pick up his cross, deny yourself, pick up up your cross daily and follow me, I hit the ground. I'm like, I can't make that up. To me, that was the confirmation that what I heard was real. And the whole essence of my first, if you will, uh, understanding of God's word was deny yourself, identity, pick up your cross and follow me. It's just of the essence of the only answer. We have to die to ourselves. Yes. I, I tell you, you already know that. You teach that. But identity is absolutely of the core uh, of this. And, and I can tell you that I'm, I'm nothing without my Lord and Savior. And I, I just, I praise him for where I am now, what I've gone through. I know it's him. It's not me. I, I, don't, have, I don't have the abilities to lead a men's ministry or do a, a high-profile <laughs> Christian talk program or any
1: of that stuff. It's he that gives me that strength. That's awesome, um, man! What a perspective. And, and okay, so this leads me leads me to my, my next question. Before we get to Kingdom Men's, this is where we live a lot of the time with the men that we're helping. We walk through the process of understanding you are nothing without your Savior. Um, you must find your identity in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you lose your individualism or, as you mentioned before, your your ability to decide, your ability to choose. It means you're wrapped up in an eternal God who's paid the price for your sin, who's made you whole. Uh, so you are now that new creation in Christ. What then happens for a lot, of, a lot of the men that we work with, particularly those who are married and dealing with relationship issues, is they go home. Um, Exactly the way you described it, to a wife who's standing in the living room saying, Don't tell me you're a Christian, I don't want to hear it. Now, most of those wives want their husbands to get better, <laughs> they just don't want better to impact them. And what we often have to walk through with some of these men is how to walk out their faith, as really new believers, most of them, in a way that is sincere, that's real, that's authentic, that is growing in their relationship with God, but that is also leading their spouse to a place where they too can follow God. Can you talk through that a little bit? I I think that's a really, really important conversation to have.
2: Yeah, you've you've really led me to an absolute experience that will validate what you said. So when I gave my life to the Lord and my wife left, she took my son, and I was devastated. And I started doubting. I got a confirmation in God's Word, and I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm with you. There was a moment where she came home months later, and she said, it's either me or him. Wow. Now, I didn't want to lose my marriage. Of course. My my wife is everything, but we know that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That our our betrothed, they're a close second, if you will, but you got to love him above all. And when she said it's either me or him, I have to tell you, Jeremy, I was so terrified. What almost came out of my mouth was, you know, honey, I don't want to lose you. You're it. But what came out of my mouth was almost guided by the Holy spirit. What I said was it will always be him first. Hmm. I'm not going to deny that, but honey, he's got a plan. He wants to restore a marriage like never before. And it kind of rocked me because I thought, and, and part of it was, um, when i started going to church i really relied on the elders to kind of get me through cuz my wife left for a while and they said look you have to tell her one simple thing that god has a plan for your marriage he doesn't he grieves over divorce that's not the answer but this is between you and god frank this is this is your walk with him do you really love him above all and It was enough of a foundation laid out of pain and fear by which God really revealed himself through Christ where I realized, Hey man, there's no guarantees in life. We don't know if we're going to have a tomorrow. We don't know if our marriages are going to stay together. Horrible things happen. But when you have that relationship with Jesus and you know, he's real, he's not just a belief system. He's a knowing. And I got that. Maybe it was because I was older. I was 54. I don't know. But I had enough of an awareness and experience of him by which I could then take that into my marriage as broken, as angry as she was, as threatening as she was, where I could just love her and give her the freedom. I remember telling her, honey, if you really have to go, I hope you don't. God's got amazing things for us, but I, I love you so much that if that's what you need to do, you need to do it but this relationship with Christ is between me and him. And he wants to do great things in our marriage. And she told me later, she realized that I had a strength about me. That was not like what she was used to seeing. Hmm. And I, I think that's the challenge for us as men. If we do go back into our marriages with, with a newfound faith in Christ, you know, Satan wants to get in between the marriage. So he's working and I've watched him work on my wife. Um, in my ministry and some of the, the fears she has, et cetera. But man, if you're if you're honest enough with yourself and you need brothers around you where you gotta, as you know, yeah. be accountable, tell them, man, I'm afraid. I think I may lose my wife. I'm right. uh, all that stuff. Right. But you love her like Christ loved the church. You you respect her, you honor her, you revere her. And for about a year it was the most lonely time in my life, most painful time in my life, most fearful time in my life. But I got to tell you, because I expected her to leave any time, and I don't want to lose my boy. I didn't want to lose her, but God showed up every time. That's amazing. And he made me stronger spiritually, made me a better man, and I, I just um, very sensitive to guys. That yeah, you go home and. You, you you don't want to you don't want to love your wife to the point where she's more important than, than our king. Yes, that's the struggle a right. lot of men have in their marriages. But and I hope that answered your question because man, it yeah. it was raw for a good year, year and a half. And uh, I look now, we still have problems. Sixteen years into this, but uh, he's as real a, yeah. a, as anything, and he's uh, he's a great warrior king. And I'm just I'm just so blessed to call him my lord.
1: I, uh, I I often share with couples that, you know, we all, we've all we all had problems in our marriage, and we all, you know, marriage is, is difficult, even for the best of people, but I do my best to share with people sometimes that the goal in marriage is not to have a good marriage, and a lot of people say, I want to have a good marriage. How do I have a good marriage, And and, you know, often people coming from that place where I accept Christ, how do I go home and have a good marriage, my encouragement to them is Don't try to have a good marriage. Uh, Try to grow in your relationship with God. And as you grow toward God, he has to be your primary um, because you'll never be able to have a good marriage apart from him. Grow in your relationship with God and let God do the work of bringing your marriage to the place that he wants it to be. Um, Now, that's easy to say. It's a lot harder to live out and walk out. But uh, I think that has to be the goal. I, I think we've all, those of us that have been married long
2: enough, we have moments where, man, things are really good. Sure. Um, how do I want to say this here? God made men and women equal and yet uniquely different. <laughs> yes. And I, I say if I go to my wife for healing, man, I'm 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 setting myself up for a whole lot of trouble. Right. I go to I go to Jesus for my healing and um I go to my wife to love her, protect her, care for her, and honor sure. and revere her. That's so right. I love sure. what you said about a good marriage. I mean, we're all in pain in our marriages. Sure you look around and you think, man, they're doing good. They're doing good. I love, I don't want to be long here, but I love when I have to do a, Oh, I don't know. I'm asked at a church to address men and, and all that. I, I love like the night before I get a big blowout with my wife. <laughs> <You> <laughs> That's,
1: all know this one. That is every marriage conference I've ever done. You're
2: <laughs> it, it, to stand there and just kind of, you know, you're, and then
1: oh, the man. evil ones
2: whisper to you, are well, you hypocrite? Yeah. Who are you? Blah, blah, blah. But if you acknowledge him, like, look, this is what's going on right now. We had a big fight last night, but it's just interesting how, um, I I've spoken a lot of people on my show, people that are not believers. And they're like, what happened to you? You used to be a new age teacher. Now you're this Jesus freak. And I'm like, look, he's real. Ask him into your life, get real about where you are and he'll reveal himself. And it, I experienced that so many times in my life, times I maybe don't want him to reveal himself. He does. Sure. He reveals yeah, sure. me and busts me and my stuff. But it's just interesting how, um, you had the idea of the perfect marriage, the the, the men, we can get the manhood about what is really a man boy. Biblical masculinity is so under attack now. It's amazing. um, but yeah, who are we? What are we doing? Right. In the short time we're we're to to, to take breath that he gives us. What are we doing with our lives now? And it, to challenge men, man, there's to me there's nothing better than to stand in front of a, a brother and look in his eyes and say, dude, you're a warrior. God's got a plan for your life, and let us show you that part of the idea of being a good leader uh, is to be willing to show your weakness. Yeah. Don't, don't try to be somebody you're not. God, God knows what he did when he made you. Right. He wants to show you the path of a warrior. And it's, it's, it's an amazing blessing to be able to do that in this short life.
1: How did you transition then from accepting Christ and God begins to work in your life to starting Kingdom Men's and um, the work that you do now? And, and, and really, how did you come to the understanding that the key is men and building men and leading men?
2: I was on the air at KKLA for about a year, year and a half. I had been, uh, by that time, a follower of Christ for maybe three years. I was new. I took over the program from a brother who was, uh, a high profile Christian leader, Frank Pastore, who was a baseball pitcher for the Reds. Yeah. Um, pretty well known. Uh, he was like, a um, he was just an amazing man. And I had met him in the spring of 2012, um, before he uh, was killed on his motorcycle that fall. But I had taken over the program and all these dynamics. Um, I'm sitting in the chair. I'm a new Christian. Frank was a uh, veteran. Um, All of these dynamics. And one day I was sitting in the chair about a year in, and I just felt the sense, do something with men. So I went into my boss. I said, boss, have we ever done anything with men? We do women's events. And you know in the church, women show up. Right, right. uh, Right. He said to me, "He said no, and no men will come." And I thought, "Okay, I didn't know. I was just kind of doing a little trolling." <laughs> a few weeks go by, and I got a very prominent, strong, undeniable sense: bring men together for my glory. Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh boy, that's not me." So after an exchange of about thirty minutes, he finally, and and I'm I'm just being real honest here. He kind of did a punch his pilot on me. He said, I wash my hands. If you want to do something, what's your mission statement? And I'm like, I don't have anything. All I saw was a vision of men on their knees crying out to God with a big wooden cross. And I had a two by four in my hand, you know, beating some sense in him. That's my addition to the vision. I, he goes, well, that, that's that's not going to that's not gonna bring men together. And I, I just kind of went, okay. So... I prayed, and I just started reaching out. I reached out to Victor, Victor Marks. Yeah, yeah. I reached out to a couple of brothers that I had met, and I said, hey, we're going to do something for men. Can you come speak? And contacted a local church. I really didn't know what I was doing at all, Jeremy. And about a week before the event, I heard all the grumblings. I think we had like 40 guys signed up. And I am and I actually thought to myself, if we have one man come, we can help save his marriage. Yep. I mean, what are we talking about here? Yeah, yeah. The morning of the event, it was very strange. We had 800 guys show up. What?
1: You thought you were going to have 40 and you had 800. I
2: thought we had 46 and literally the website (laughs) crashed the night before and we walk in and we had like 800 guys and I'm like, this is
1: crazy. Did you lecture them on not registering? Because that's what guys aren't good at.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, we can get to modern times now. We have an event. We just did. And uh, it was our first free event. And boy, registration. Yeah. But so afterwards, my boss calls me on the way home. God love him. He's He's been supportive in the early incarnation of doing men's gathering. He says, we got to do another one. And I'm like, (laughs) aren't you the dude that said nobody will come? Yeah, right. No, I think there's something here. So we did seven through the radio station. We had 800, then 1,200, then 1,600 men. The last two we did, we had 3,000 guys show up. Wow. And um, somewhere in the summer of 2017, God put on my heart to open a 501C3 Mm. and to not do it sanctioned through the radio station. To be a standalone uh, men's ministry. So we formed it, we put the partners in place. We did our first one in August of 2018. We had about 2,200 guys show up. Incredible. And the men's gathering became CAMG Ministries, Kingdom Men's Gathering. Yeah. And so we've done, I don't know, six, seven, eight. COVID hit this year. We've done a couple of man camps. We just did a man camp about a month ago. Oh boy, you talk about grumbling, and, and we're in California, right? Governor Newsom and his. A uh, lot of guys are afraid. Sure. And we decided after a lot of prayer. No, we're going to do. We're going to do a, a man camp. We're going to go up in the mountains. We're going to limit it to about a hundred guys. Yeah. If you want to wear a mask, don't get me going on masks. <laughs> um, and, and we got there on Friday night, and I just kind of said in my first teaching, I'm like, look. You want to wear a mask? You want to social distance? Okay, but I just don't think what we're being told is the big picture of what's yes. being told. And if, if you don't trust in Christ that your days are numbered anyway, what are we doing? So right. we did man yeah. camp, uh, baptized 12 guys. Awesome. Um, and yet we are all kind of navigating through uh, this coronavirus and how do we move forward in our ministries. I will say this one other thing. Not that I want no accolades. I don't want to be known as the rebellious guy. But as men of God, I think we have to really speak bluntly and boldly. I'm pretty sick of what's going on here in California and the overreach and the fear mongering. And so we just did an event at a church that's been open for two and a half months we had 700 guys, no social distancing, no mask wearing. We gave them the option, hey, if you want to do that, but we're going to follow the Lord. We're yeah. going to challenge you to be a man of God. Yeah, And uh, God shows up, Yeah, and I just, um, to be able to do, and, and last thing, and, and uh-huh. you know this, you've been in the trenches longer than me. I think the biggest crisis in our country and in the church is men being men or lack thereof men not knowing what it means to be a follower of christ and be a warrior yes. and be a protector and a leader in your home and and so by the grace of god and doing these events and pushing forth in the ministry god's revealed enough as i go to where i i think we're one of many ministries that are doing god's work and and really calling men and challenging men to step, step up and stop, stop the denial, stop being a faker. If you need help, get help. But right. I, I also, um, I'm kind of known, I, I hope I can say this. I'm kind of known as the butt kicker. Right. I, I'm, I'm tired of church playing nice in men's ministries. Yep. You, you got to just call guys out. Guys respect being called out. They may not act like it, but there's so many men that are just faking it and it's almost like we got to give them permission look, God wants to release you as a warrior, but you got to understand he put the goods in you to start. And if you want to walk alongside us, we'll show you how to access that. Right. And it's going to be a battle because Satan's going to try to do everything he can to undermine any walk forward in God that you want to put forth. And, um, there's nothing better, um, for me, uh than to uh be a leader of a, a small men's ministry that are challenging men to get right with God and, and getting after it, taking back taking back so many of the the posts that we've 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 abandoned, if you will. Sure. Um and we don't have to talk about our culture, our country, or the state of things, but men need to step up more than ever now. Yeah. And through the incredible work that you and Chad do at Mighty Oaks Man, I just, I've admired you from afar for a long time. You guys have been in the trenches and um, I just, I'm grateful to be with you and and to do this and to tell um, all of the guys in KMG, man, you got to, you got to find out about Mighty Oaks. Uh, and if you're a vet, if you know a vet, reach out to them. There's help for you. You don't have to be uh, lost alone uh, anymore. Uh, God's Correct. got a plan for
1: your life yeah it's awesome to be able to engage in this and you know when you find like-minded and like-hearted people, there's a an unspoken camaraderie it's it's Victor Marx, it's you, it's a handful of other people. We don't have to sit down and talk about the underlying philosophy <laughs> that guides our ministry. Um, it exists, it resonates, and we know that and uh man it's 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 awesome. Um, And if men don't step up, if Christian men don't step up, the problems in our culture are not because people who don't know Christ are acting the way natural men act. It's because Christian men are not standing up and and doing what God has called and equipped them to do. Um, That is the answer. Um, Let's end with this if we can. I I like this question. Um, uh, What do you say to someone who is without hope? What's your answer to the person who is without hope that needs it? Where do you find it and how do you move toward that? I think to admit you
2: feel hopeless or have a sense of hopelessness is the first and hardest step. When somebody's willing to say, man, I, I just, I, I'm I'm done. I don't know what to do. I always, on my program, I encourage people, get honest, get real about where you are. Yeah. So once that's spoken, then by literally the power of God, we have the authority to say, well, here's the good news. It's already been done for you. Yes. Jesus is the only hope in the world. And let me tell you a bit about who my Jesus is. Right. And he's your, he can be your Jesus too. Right. Point him to uh, all aspects of who Christ is, not just as we talked earlier, not just the soft, loving, compassionate, forgiving, the, the one that turned over tables, the one that formed a whip, the one that was the greatest man to ever walk the planet. And I always say on my program, by the way, if you read the last book of the Bible, he's not coming back to hug a bunch of people. <laughs> he's coming back to right all wrong. That's right. So less words and more experience about, you know, maybe even sharing where I've come from. Look, if he could do this in my life, oh my goodness, I can't imagine the plan he has for your life. But yeah. you've got to be honest, and then you have to be willing to be discipled yeah. and to um, just know that, Life is really short and eternity is forever. And Jesus is king. And right. so talk about hope, man. I don't know what I would do these days with everything going on in the world if I wasn't a follower of him. Yeah, because, right. man, it's it's dark out there, but he's
1: He's the light of the world. He said it then. He's going to be it again very soon. Where can people find out uh, more about you, about the ministry, and about KMG? Um, our
2: website is kmgministries.com, or if that's um, – Little difficult. Just FrankSontag.com. We did that domain name as well. Yeah, uh, we're looking to do more events. Uh, we are not a church ministry. We're uh, a ministry. We're followers of Jesus. We're yeah. kind of warriors and renegades and and pirates and a bunch of other <laughs> guys. But you know, I I, I um, yeah KMGMinistries.com. Yeah. Uh, we're praying about a new year, and I'm praying about a, a big change right now. I my prayer is that. Uh, in the Lord's will to lift me out of radio and have me do this full time because th- this is where my heart is. I've done radio 34 years, and uh, I can't do two things at once that well. But uh, KMG Ministries is my life, and and I give all the praise and
1: glory to Jesus. It's awesome, Frank. Such an honor to talk to you, um, and I admire you so much. And uh, it's just it's fun to watch what God is doing in your life. And I feel such a camaraderie between uh, you and your just kind of your outlook, your philosophy, your worldview, and what we do. So thank you for everything. Thank you for what you're doing, and thanks for talking.
2: Thank you, brother. Keep doing what you're doing, dude. You're a, um, a guiding light to so many men, and I'm, I'm grateful to call you my brother in Christ, and I love you. Thank yes, you for today. Awesome.
1: Another incredible conversation, and that's one that you want to just go on and on and on. Uh, I appreciate Frank so much, and I'm just so grateful that he'd spend that time with us. I want to sum up, if I can, uh, what we talked about in today's Situation Report. The first part of the situation report today is this, that underlying everything that we see, underlying those things that we call cultural, there is a very real, very spiritual component. Uh, There is what we call a spiritual warfare going on. It manifests itself, of course, we see it out in the public, but there's something underlying all of that. Which leads to the second part of this, and it's very simple. Understanding that, we need to look at the world from a spiritual perspective. We have to see the world as it is, not just what is presented in front of us, but see it as it is. We've got to look at the world and understand there's so much more going on. And finally, when we consider the spiritual warfare taking place around us, uh, this is not something strange or something spooky. It's real, And we have to understand that being spiritual and even living a spiritual life, as Frank describes, is very different than having a relationship with the Creator. And we need to focus on having that relationship with Christ, understanding who God is and what His plan for our life really is. And that today is your situation report. Again, so much more that we could say, but just thankful for Frank. And uh, I would encourage you to jump over when you get a chance to 99.5 KKLA and check out his show. Thank you for being with us today. We'll talk to you next time.